Okay, welcome to the Queen Anne's County Commissioner's meeting. This is a public meeting that is being aired live on our local te television station, QAC-TV7. These media broadcasts provide county citizens an opportunity to watch and review our scheduled public sessions. To comply with the governor's proclamation declaring a state of emergency in Maryland to minimize the person-to-person -person spread of COVID-19, we suggest that our citizens stay home and watch the county commissioner's meeting live on our Queen Anne's County website at www.qac.org live or on QAC TV's television channel, Atlantic Broadband Channel 7 and now in high definition Channel 507. Audience seating will be limited to accommodate social distancing guidelines and we are screening all meeting participants prior to entering the building. If you have any respiratory symptoms such as fever, cough and or shortness of breath, please refrain from attending the meeting and notify a health care provider. We acknowledge your participation and by attending, you acknowledge that this session is both recorded and aired. The scheduled agenda is available on the information table just outside of our meeting room. Press and public comment will be taken and is limited to three minutes per person. If you care to speak, you must sign the sheet on the information table outside. Comments longer than three minutes can be submitted in writing for the commissioner's review. Citizens can also join the live Zoom meeting by going to www.qac.org slash public comment, or you may email comments to public comment at qac.org. We will accept comments up until the end of our meeting. Comments received will be read during the press and public comment period on this evening's agenda. During the meeting, we would ask that you turn off all electronic devices and hold personal conversations outside of our meeting room. So we will now let, stand and be led in the Pledge of Allegiance by Commission President Christopher Corcorino. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Speak, uh, remain standing uh, for former Senate President Mike Miller, um, decades of service to Maryland. Thank you. All right, commissioners, we just held a closed session under section 3-305B3 to discuss um, personnel, excuse me, B1, to discuss personnel and boards and commissions. And I believe we did uh, reach consensus on a uh, social services board. Could I get a motion to make an appointment to our I move to appoint Kate Trasic Sweeney to fill the remaining unexpired term on the social services advisory board to begin effective immediately and end June 30th, 2022. Second. We got a motion, a second, any discussion? All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Five up. All right, thank you, commissioners. Uh, we also had consensus to make a conversion of a full-time contract position to, or excuse me, a, a vacant contractual position to a full-time administrative position in the state's attorney's office. Could I get a motion on that, please? Motion to add an additional employee to the state's attorney's office. Well, it's actually a conversion of a contractual position that's vacant to a full-time position. That's what he meant. That's what I meant. That's a conversion <laughs> that's of a contractual to a full-time uh, employee. Second. Get a motion to second. Any discussion on that? All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Five up. All right. Thank you, commissioners. And we also had some uh, discussion under uh, section 3305B3 of the general provisions article discuss land, and no decisions were made on that subject. 
So that brings us to the approval of today's agenda. Uh, the agenda for today's meeting, January 26th, and the regular and closed session minutes from your January 12th meeting were distributed electronically for review. Um, do we have any additions or corrections? Uh, I'd like to, motion to add two action items to the agenda. Okay. A motion and a second. I'll second the motion. Thank you. Any discussion? What are the action items you want to do? What's that? What were the action items that we have that? We had uh, two desk items, yeah. Two desk items. Yep. All in favor? Aye. 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 Motion to approve the minutes and agenda as amended. Okay. Second. Okay. <laughs> All right. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Passes go. All right. Thank you, commissioners. That brings us to our uh, first uh, press and public comment period. Uh, thank you for taking the time to express your views to the county commissioners during this public comment period. Comments are limited to three minutes in length. Comments longer than three minutes should be submitted in writing. When you come forward, please speak clearly at the standing microphone. State your name, address, and topic of interest. Keeping with the dignity of our office, we ask that all views be expressed in a respectful and civil manner. The commission respects your desire and right to convey your message freely. And we ask as a courtesy to the board and our citizens that you respect the commissioner's request and refrain from naming any citizens and name calling when offering any critique. So do we have anybody that signed up? Uh, Valerie Hirsch. Okay. We have a timer up here. You can see it on the wall. <laughs> Thank you. I assume I can take this on. Yes, please do. Valerie Hirsch, 139 McKinney Court, Chester, Maryland. And with me is Tom Gosselin, who's the HOA president for Gibson's Grant. We're here regarding the Gibson's Grant Community Association's request for permission to terminate the easement for the pier. The association submitted more detailed comments in advance. Highlights of those comments include the homeowners request fair treatment. It is our understanding that we are the only community in all of Queen Anne's County required to bear the burden of providing, maintaining, regulating, and ensuring a public use pier. The Gibson's grant declaration includes a mechanism of release from this easement with express written approval from Queen Anne's County. Please note the 55-acre conservation area on the south and western sides of Gibson Grant are not within the scope of our petition. The pier is not located in the conservation area. The burden of full financial responsibility for providing a public pier in addition to a public 55-acre conservation area is unfair. All expenses for both are paid by homeowners. The annual commitment is more than $35,000, a cost of more than $350,000 since inception. This places a tremendous and unreasonable burden on the community's 280 families. On November 12th, the Planning Commission voted 3-2 to two to send an unfavorable recommendation to the county commissioners. One member was absent and another member had to recuse himself. We firmly believe that a recommendation against our petition would not have resulted had these circumstances not arisen. The Planning Commission finds that termination of the easement is inconsistent with the intent of the subdivision approval. We respectfully feel that this is incorrect and unfair. It was the developer's offer of 55-acre conservation area that was the key component for final approval of the community. The Planning Commission finds public access to waterways is a goal of a comprehensive plan and terminating the pier would eliminate such access. We respectfully feel this is incorrect and unfair. There's ample public access to a waterway in the 55-acre 
conservation area as the entire western side of the area abuts Megan Creek. The community was unfairly admonished for not considering implementing public use rules before requesting termination. It became clear during the meeting that some commission members were uncomfortable with the idea of an HOA being subjected to enforcing its rules with the public. The association could have easily continued using the misleading signs posted for years by the developer, falsely claiming the pier was for community members only. Instead, we determined to work with the county and proceed properly, honestly, and fairly. We are asking for fairness in return. Thank you. Is that all that signed up? Yep. That's all that signed up. Here. Uh, we do have an email from Carol Kendrick. I'm a resident of Gibson Grant for over 10 years and have personally witnessed people from outside our development on the pier in the last few years. The pier is very small and not a large crowd can be safely on the pier at any one time. They have brought food and picnic supplies and equipment for fishing and create a trash situation that has not always cleaned up. The cars also cause congestion at the entrance to the pier. The furniture and items that have been provided by the builders to enhance the sale of homes and complementary to residents of our community have been abused and or stolen. It is for this reason that I believe the easement should be terminated. Uh, that's all we have for now. Okay. That's it. We'll close press appellate comment. Okay, commissioners. If you want to flip over to um, tab number three, we have uh, eight action items and two desk items. We can go through those. Item number one on page one is a branding services contract. And this is a request to authorize the Director of Economic and Tourism Development to sign a contract with Choptank Communications for the Queen Anne's County branding project. This work will consist of market research <coughs> and creation of a new brand strategy with the goal of creating a new cohesive brand identity for Queen Anne's County. And Ms. Tonelli, Heather Tonelli, our director, is here along with uh, Katie Clendaniel. She wanted to introduce Katie. She is our new marketing and tourism um, employee. And that's what we have. So, so I will move to authorize the Director of Economic Tourism Development to execute the contract with Chop Tank Communications for the QAC branding project on behalf of the County Commissioners for an amount not to exceed $40,000. Second. Right. Heather, tell us about this. Okay, so back in um, April, we actually, oh, thank you, actually applied for a USDA grant in order to uh, rebrand the county. You probably don't remember, but I was kind of making light of, we've had live, work, play since I was probably born. It's been around for a long time. And as we look at our marketing efforts, and now that we have Katie on board, we feel like it's time to, to update our marketing and really say who we are, not only to our visitors, but to our residents, to people looking to work here, um, play here, live here, whatever it may be. So this is our opportunity. We did receive that 30,000 USDA grant. Um, and there's a $10,000 match on our side, which comes out of our operating budget to actually market once we, we get ready to roll with this branding. So um, the contract, we did put this out for RFP, and the contractor that we um, are hoping to select tonight, should you approve, is Chop Tank Communications. Um, Katie had worked with them before in, in other areas, um, and we found them to be very uh, experienced, especially during working during COVID, where a lot of our Outreach is going to have to be virtual. They actually just finished up uh, Worcester County's branding. I forget what it's called. Um, the coast. The coast. coast. 
What is naturally, it? The coast, naturally cool. Maryland's but, coast. Yeah. Maryland's coast, naturally cool. But it's it's an extensive project, and they will be reaching out to all of you. Um, but I feel it's really important and perfect timing, as I've mentioned before. So, question. Did you run any of this by the EDC or the Kentner's Development Foundation that we're rebranding? Yes. And they're all in favor of it? Absolutely. I mean, because I, live, work, and play, to me, it sounds awful strong, and I see it plagiarized all across the state. Plagiarized. You know what I mean? So, you know. I, yeah, but we may have you, plagiarized it. Yeah, well, I'm saying, but, you know, that's a tall task to do better than live, work, and play. So. I, well, yeah, it's about time, and our, it, it also includes Im imagery and a tagline, and there's just so much more to it. You get the community buy-in, so there'll be a lot of outreach, which is actually perfect, being it's also comp plan update time. It all kind of coincides together, and uh, we're going to engage all different demographics in North County, South County, all the above. So, how long is the whole process going to take? Out of you think? We have to be done by June 30th, and that's um, a commitment partially because of the funding. And it actually works out that this contractor is available during this time, and um, it's a pretty aggressive, but we, we have to do it that way. Okay. So tentatively, Jim, I think it's live, work, play, but keep your cars off our side roads. That's, That's exactly right. right. Exactly. That's the new slogan we're working on. It's not exactly catchy, but I think well, I mean, I mean, it I, might I, Obviously, obviously I mean, there's companies that, that rebrand their, their business plan they, they, to, to go after a different demographic, and mm -hmm. um, I think it's a great idea. I Are didn't you, know it was used in many long places. Overdue. And I was looking at some national economic development, <laughs> something or other, and somebody had it on the, the back of their uh, doorway or behind them, and I believe it was Montana or Michigan or somewhere out in the Midwest, and I thought, oh boy, I thought we were the only ones using this, but we're not. Well, actually, I think Paul Comfort used it in his campaign for county commissioner, didn't, didn't he? The live, work, and play? Yeah. Oh, really? Yeah. Which all, I mean, it's all about staying here, keeping all your economics well, here. I mean, that's that's basically what it's the brand is about. Come to Queen Anne's County, you'll never leave because of that damn bridge. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's going to be interesting how you guys incorporate that bridge into this. Yeah, oh yeah. That's right. it's, nice it's going to be this big monster. <laughs> it's, it's a community buy-in, so it's not Katie who's really good at this kind of thing. It's not me who thinks I know the Eastern Shore because I've lived here my whole life. It's not going to come from her and I. Uh -huh. It's going to come from the community. It's going to come from the stakeholders. Um, and we're developing a long list of people to, to reach out to and um. I'll say having gone through the process that it's really about helping to develop cultivate and then tell the stories of the county and the people that are in the county and the themes that are here in the county so live work and play is always there it's, it's there for a lot of people but it's how we tell that story and how we resonate with people and how we how, then in turn resonate with people that we want to come and live and play here. So there you go. <laughs> so it's safe to say that you'll give us some some progressive updates as you guys move along. Absolutely. That's hopefully will be a part of the process. As long as you're so, willing to and yeah. have the time. <laughs> we would love that. All right. All right. Well and welcome. Thank you. <laughs> we have a motion to authorize the Director of Economic and Tourism Development to execute the contract with Chop Tank Communication for the QAC branding project on behalf of the county commissioners for an amount not to exceed 400,000. And it was 40, 40. 40. Sorry, 40,000, sorry. Let's go. They're gonna work the whole project from Hawaii. <laughs> I gotta get bifocals so I can uh, read things better. Wow. 40,000. Four zeros. Okay, should we second. Uh, no more discussion? All those in favor? Aye. 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 
Opposed? Five out. Actually, Todd, could we skip to five and keep Heather here for that? Certainly. I want to get, because the EDC is input on the okay. liquor board. Right. Thank you, Katie. All right, commissioners, we will skip to action item number five on page 24. And this is, is, is anybody else in the hallway from the, is anybody else in the hallway from the liquor board or anything? Or is, I don't know. They all come on in. We not. can ask them to come in. But this is a, this is a letter from Jeffrey Thompson, the attorney for the liquor board, and the uh, the liquor board, uh, otherwise known as the Board of License Commissioners, has proposed um, uh, some amendments to a statewide bill, House Bill 12, that would um, permit a license holder to sell mixed drinks or cocktails to go in a sealed container. Uh, on the along with uh, a food order to go and uh, the liquor board has um, expressed they do not want to support that legislation in Queen Anne's County and I think we had some uh, some other feedback from some other groups and that's in your book here I think EDC has recommended not to go in this direction as well as the Kenton Harris Foundation and uh, there was also a letter in your book from the drug-free coalition who supports the liquor board's position. So uh, at this point, we wanted to get, um, the liquor board wanted to get the commissioner's consensus on whether or not they want to support is the bill or support their position to uh, essentially allow Queen Anne's County to opt out of that legislation. But is this bill permanently for in perpetuity? Yes. yes. Or Because I, I was told, I think it was from our lobbyists, that it was just till the end of the pandemic. So there's, there's likely well, already, be, they already because of the pandemic, they get to do it now. Right now is I mean, you could go and do it now. I think this legislation makes it permanent after the pandemic is over. The way the way it's currently so, drafted, I believe that's correct. But okay. I think it could, you it know, could this is still, with, it hasn't been into a hearing yet. It could be amended to do just what you said. That's right. what uh, right. our lobbyist said. It's likely to be amended with a sunset clause. Let's, let me just let me, let me make this motion on it and then like okay. have a more discussion on it. So uh, I move to there's and there's three different ones. Let's do the first one. I move to support an amendment to House Bill 12, Senate Bill 205. Um, actually, no. Yeah. I move not. Me. I'm going to read this differently because right. I, I move not to support an amendment uh, to House Bill 12, Senate Bill 205 to exclude Queen Anne's County uh, from the provisions to allow off-premise consumption of alcohol beverages. So my motion is. Um, that we not accept the recommendation of the liquor board. Second. So I've talked to, and Heather, you could, you've, you've talked with the EDC, you talked with the Kenton Arrows Development Foundation, and so from the restauranters' perspective, during this pandemic, they've been allowed to sell their mixed drinks to go. So you could go to the jetty and get a crab cake and a margarita that's in a, a cup with a lid on it, and they could take it back to their boat if someone is staying on a boat, for example, or right. you want to take it and go home, you could do that. Um, so from the restaurant's perspective, during COVID, since they've been allowed to do it, helped them, not helped them, how do they feel about it? They believe that it has helped them and should we be excluded, then as far as competition goes, um, somebody could then go to any of our other surrounding counties in order to be able to, to have that service. And in addition, as restaurants are looking to move into the area, or expand, you know, especially since we're looking at the liquor um, laws of possibly expanding to four, you know, um, changing the license within um, to allow four more 
to come in, um, those restaurants would be less likely to come to us versus going to, to somewhere else that allows that current feature. It is really important for them. Um, and it, I, I don't know if it, there's been a lot of complaints or a lot of issues with it, to be honest. I can't speak on that, but I know so business-wise it's a support. So I can speak to that. I talked to the sheriff today. There are no incidents, uh, upticks, violations of anything with public drunkenness, no increases in any of that kind of stuff. Or So he, he hasn't seen any uh, problems with it since it's been put in place. And I'd just like to add, too, I think um, it's, it's important. We've looked at our restaurants where, where you know, and I, and I don't know where the, the, the big pushback to not do this would be coming from, but the restaurants suffered probably the worst uh, through the pandemic in terms of losses. Um, and we've set them at 50%. Um, we, they had outdoor dining, which outdoor dining, basically you're drinking your alcohol outside anyway. We are an open air town in the summertime. We kind of relish that. That's how we get our tourists here. Um, the people aren't taking uh, 30, 40 drinks to their car. This is typically with their meal. Um, and like I said, with the sheriff chiming in, that there hasn't been any incidents, any complaints and things like that. I just, I mean, I, I just feel for a lot of these restaurant owners. Um, that, and I will tell you from the legislative side, there sounds like there may be out of the committee some uh, push to put a sunset clause on it. I, I would rather see them leave it to local autonomy. I, coming from the MAKO side of things, I like to see everything stay with the local governments having the final decision versus the state mandating things because, you know, one size doesn't fit all in terms of the counties. We're all different. We all have our own uh, uh, certain things that we, you know, do differently. So I think it should be left up to the county to decide that. And I'm hoping that the, that's what they do in Annapolis when they look at this. Do, do, we, do we know, because, uh, because the liquor board uh, took a position uh, opposing this, and, and and do we know their concern that the enforceability of it? I mean, what? Wh why are they taking a stand? Well, at least three, two against. I mean, I could think of they, you would be concerned about: is there going to be an increase in drinking and driving? If you can, you go and get the crab cake and you get the margarita, you're going to drink that on the way home. There's this. I think there's the same risk of, you know, if you're really jonesing that hard, you go to the, you know, pull in the gas station, you get a six pack of beer, and you can open it. I mean, that, it's still illegal to drink and drive. Um, there may be concern about, would this help underage drinking? Someone could go buy a couple of drinks and hand them to me. Again, the liquor store, you could still do that. And if you're gonna, if you're gonna be helping underage drinkers, you're probably gonna go to the liquor store. It's cheaper, you know, to get a six pack of beer than to buy a mixed drink that's five or six dollars. To go, Th those are I could see as being legitimate reasons, but I, I think that we take care of those through enforcement issues. And if it gets out of hand, like Jack said, if we could have it where there's local control, if it's something that came out of hand, it, then you get rid of it at that point. So, Mr. President, so which I'm sorry, of these three motions you raised, the first one, the first one, House Bill 12205 for the off-premise consumption of alcoholic beverages, and, and they have to buy. My understanding, you have to buy food. With the liquor, so you can't just go right. and say, you know, give me twelve right. margaritas. Right. You got to buy food with it too. And so uh, a lot of the restaurants saying, if you come and you have a transient slip at Pier One and you want to go to Hemingway's and you get some food and drinks and you bring it back to your boat, or if you're staying at Mears, that this is sort of a, a value added to people who are coming here for the recreational aspect of Queen Anne's County. Well, okay. So let me let me throw my two cents in here. First off, uh, I mean, I'm not. At, at odds with, you know, what's going on with the pandemic and, and our restaurants, and more importantly, our, our 
bartenders, waiters, waitresses, and, and busback people. They're the ones that suffered the most, I, I think. That's my opinion. Uh, I will say, you know, Jack, you said that the sheriff has there's been no incidents. Well, I, I can recall last summer plenty of food being bought with beverages and being eaten and drank right in the parking lots to the point where everybody was complaining about the trash. So that's public drinking, which is against the law. So, you know, we just didn't enforce certain things. So, and, and I see that getting worse. And I see that getting worse because, now, let me, let me back up. I'm in favor of this if there's a sunset with it. During COVID, I'm in, totally in favor with it. But when COVID's over and we're back to 100%, no, I'm not in favor of people going up, ordering some onion rings, and getting four mixed cocktails and sitting outside and drinking those cocktails while they eat the onion rings because I'm, it, it, this is going to lead to problems one way or another. And on top of that, it's cutting away the funding. You're not tipping anybody. I mean, you know, so why go into the jetty and spend money in tipping when I can sit outside and eat it and drink it? And, and I hate to use them as an ex uh, excuse, sorry, jetty, but I mean, I go there every Sunday. So anyways, but with that being said, you know, that's, that's my reason, uh, you know, uh, the, the, the public drinking, the, the fact that sooner or later that's, that's going to become an issue because now there, there is no limits. So what's to stop somebody from going back and forth and back and forth and buying, you know, okay, there's a wait. Well, let's just get some carry out and let's get a drink and let's sit in the parking lot. I just, I, I don't think, and, and to Heather, to your comment, we are a destination and we will always be a destination. And I want us to always be a destination. I want people to come here. But I got to believe if somebody comes here, they're not coming here to get a drink and take it to their car or somewhere else. They're coming here for the full nine yards. And, and I, I, I just don't think that us limiting uh, alcohol beverages from walking out the door will destroy or, or inhibit any of our restaurant businesses. And that's just my opinion. So that's all I got to say about that. I double up on what Jim had to say. I'm, as long as it gets sunsetted, I think that's a good idea. Right. I think we ought to, if we get to that point, reconsider it at that point. But right now, I would go ahead and allow them to take out and sunset it. So, but Steve, what if we modified it? If if our support of this is that they, that the legislature gives the county the right, right. to make the decision for themselves. That, that's all that I'm way, asking. We can sunset it or not sunset it on our own. Yeah, I don't want the state the right to be the ones that mandate that. it. And we don't, we never want to do that. We never want to give the state the authority to mandate something back to us. We want to have that authority. So if, if we allow them to sunset it in the legislation, if we didn't, if we found out it was a great thing and there was no problems, and, it, and, and again, this can deal with any legislation, mm -hmm. want to go back and try and get it back again, we have to go re-legislate it. This way, we want them to say, okay, we can do this and allow the sunsetting to come back to the county if we want to sunset it, not the state to set it. Because once they set it and it's gone, if you did want to bring it back, you'd have to re-legislate it. That's all I'm saying. So again, so the, the motion would have to say that. That we, you know, uh, my, uh, to that point, I'm, I'm all for that saying, look at, we want the, the option to sunset this bill. And right now we're, we are saying, right now we approve of the bill the way it's written. And there is no sunset in the bill, is that right. correct? So, the, so I guess the original way the liquor board was addressing is to be exempt from even allowing the to-go drinks. Correct. My, bill, my, my, my motion was to not do it that way. So I'm going to make an amendment to my, my motion that what we, is, we support 
the bill provided that the local jurisdictions have the authority to implement it in their county. In implement a sunset Impl or, or? Im implement it to put Either it way. in place oh, okay. the city way. they want. So we don't even necessarily need a sunset. We could just have next full year autonomy. say we're going to take it away. Have full autonomy at the county level. Either okay. way. So I guess you'd have to got a second read one. that again and, and get get yeah. Well, we're going to direct our legislators in, in the motion. You're going to direct the legislators to put forth that amendment because right. basically it's got to be an amendment. It's their bill. Right. So, so. The, the the motion is that. Um, we ask our delegation to submit an amendment that allows the counties to have local control over whether or not they're going to allow the off-premise consumption of alcoholic beverages to be under House Bill 12, Senate Bill 205. Okay, I'll, I'll second that. Okay, any more discussion? Uh, yeah. Because I'm not going to remember what I just said. Yeah, so, <laughs> but the motion that you read the first one and listen to what it says, it yeah. says, I move to support an amendment to House Bill 12 to exclude Queen Anne's County from the provision to allow off-premise consumption of alcohol beverages. Right. So that motion said, we want to be excluded from the state's decision to allow it. We want it to be he our said he, decision. Yeah. He said not support, though. He, when he read his, he said I, not support. I, I did it different than what was actually written in right. here. I, I modified He it. changed it to me. Okay, so, so we that's why ready. I asked what motion did yeah, you read. Yeah. So, the, so motion, the first motion. I withdraw my first motion. Okay. All right, so now my motion is just that we, which Jack has second, the motion is that we support the bill with amendment that allows the local counties to decide for themselves if they're gonna allow the off-premises sale of alcoholic beverages from restaurants. I'm good with that. Are we good with that? Yep. Okay, motion second. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. Aren't you glad you sat? Well, that's a problem. That's a problem. <laughs> but that's I mean, look, But that's good. That was. I mean, this is why we talk these things through to make sure we're getting to right. something that's better. Right. And so, for folks at home, they, it's really important we think for the counties to have control for what goes on in their county. Absolutely. Rather than have the state make laws for us, and if we're entirely excluded from something, and then we decide two years from now, mm -hmm. well, we want to do this, you got to go to the general assembly, and that's just. And you're going yeah. as a, and you're going as a one-off at that point. Yeah. You, you got. So you're now, now is the own. time to get the local control right. on it. All right. Thank you, Heather. The next two are a little bit easier. The next I mean, one's oh, that's right. You got two more, don't I you? I didn't yeah. know that. <laughs> that's just yeah. a warm-up. This, this same bill also prohibits the local licensing board from charging an, an additional fee for selling and or delivering alcoholic beverages. So <coughs> our local board also disagrees with that provision. So do we want to support that position or? Yeah, I'll, I'll move to support uh, an amendment to House Bill 12, Senate Bill 205, to exclude Queen Anne's County from Section C, prohibiting additional charges for license holders selling and or delivering alcohol beverages. So my motion is in keeping with our liquor board's recommendation. Okay. Second. Okay, motion a second. Any discussion? All those in favor? Aye. 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 Let me read this next one here, Todd, since I think we're on the roll on those. Actually, I don't think we need a motion on that one. I mean, this was this is kind of a, a what if, but... There, there is, um, the Liquor Board is aware that there is an effort to amend Article uh, Section 4205 that would allow convenience stores and supermarkets to potentially sell beer and wine. There's no bill yet out there yet to uh, comment on, so they are certainly opposed to that, so they just wanted to call that out so and get... That is tabled uh, until there is legislation for us to address. So there is, but I think we should discuss it because the legislation is going in Annapolis, it's going quick, and some stuff comes up and it has a hearing two days later, so 
And, and all I will say to that is, again, I would just go back to what I said before. We should make sure our delegates put an amendment in that is left to local autonomy. That that, that decision would come back to each county, not the state to make that decision. Agreed. That's all I would ask. Agreed. So you could always make the motion and they just, you know, we should probably make a, a motion right. and you can't vote on it because it could happen in the delegation will know where we sit that. yeah the delegation will know where we sit so right well we could so go ahead jack we, we probably could just on all three of these is a, is a motion to have a delegation add amendments to allow queen Anne's county to have their own autonomy over making decisions over liquor licenses. Well, I just think they say counties in general because in general. I, I'm sure other counties are going to piggyback, will be piggybacked on this. So, yeah, that, that we maintain local autonomy over the decision. That, that is my that motion. Mark? Is that my motion you're second it? Or is that your motion I second it? I'll, you can have it, El Presidente. I'll second. All right, so we got a motion for local autonomy over liquor laws. It's been seconded. All those in favor? Aye. 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 Five oh. That wasn't confusing at all, Margie. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Heather. Thank you. Thank you, Heather. Thank you, commissioners. Okay, we are a little behind schedule. Do you want to do the public hearings? Yep. Now? Okay. If you want to turn to <clears throat> tab number seven, and I believe Patrick Thompson, our county attorney, is here. And it is uh, 610. So first we have, if you want to turn... Uh, Again, tab number seven, we have a public hearing on County Ordinance 21-13, Cottage Home Planned Residential Development. And this is an amendment to our land use code that would allow single-family detached smaller homes to be constructed in the 16 zoning districts that are currently permitted to allow multifamily townhouse units currently. And there is a um, staff report that was included for your reference. Mr. Thompson? All right. Um, this is a public hearing being held by the County Commissioner of Queen Anne's County on County Ordinance Number 20 13, a bill entitled An Act Concerning Cottage Home Planned Residential Development for the purpose of modifying the planned residential development standards in Chapter 18 1 of the Code of Public Local Laws to establish standards for cottage home planned residential development in the 16 zoning districts in Queen Anne's County that permit major or minor multifamily uses. Amending the definition of multifamily in 18, chapter 18, half <coughs> of the Code of Public Local Laws and providing a definition of cottage home therein. And generally providing for and addressing cottage home residential development in Queen Anne's County by amending section 18.136 of the Code of Public Local Laws and revising the definition of multifamily and providing the definition of cottage home in chapter 18 <coughs> half of the Code of Public Local Laws. This hearing is being held Tuesday, January 26, 2021 at 6 p.m. in the County Commissioner's Meeting Room, Liberty Building 107 North Liberty Street, Central Maryland. Queen Anne's County Planning Commission has issued a favorable recommendation on the proposed ordinance. Copies of the ordinance have been available at the County Commissioner's Office prior to the hearing during regular business hours and online on the county website. Citizens are asked to participate and provide testimony via email, live video, and audio. Uh, 
instructions of which are included in the advertisement. Speakers will be limited to three minutes each. Written testimony of any length may be submitted on before the hearing date. All hearing sites are accessible to individuals with disabilities. Sign language interpreters and assistive listening systems are available. For the record, the proceeding will be a certificate of publication indicating that notice of the hearing was published in the Bay Times and Record Observer newspapers of general circulation in Queen Anne's County. And the uh, staff report and recommendation of the Queen Anne's County Planning Commission in the form of a memorandum dated December 8th from Amy Mordock, Planning Director. No one signed up. We, we do have uh, someone waiting. Uh, we have uh, Wick Dudley. I'm going to ask you to unmute Wick. Can you all hear me? Yes, we can. Excellent. Um, as you stated, Wick Dudley of Queenstown here testifying on behalf of the Bay Area Association of Realtors, which includes realtors in Queen Anne's County, and testifying in support of this ordinance 20-13. The issue that necessitated this ordinance uh, arose when a local developer wished to build five cottage homes, which are standalone dwelling units, but also in a condominium regime. Um, he was hoping to build five of these homes on about six tenths of an acre in Graysonville. Now, unfortunately, as he learned, the county code does not expressly permit a condominium regime for homes that don't share walls. So most people, when they think of a condominium, they're thinking townhomes, maybe duplexes, that sort of thing. So this developer wanted to have a standalone home uh, that's individually owned, but would be commonly shared outdoor space. The county director of planning and zoning determined that because these cottage homes are not materially similar to what's currently allowed, uh, that the county code would not permit these standalone condominium regime structures. Fast forward a few months, there was a hearing in front of the county planning commission which they, as was just mentioned, voted to approve and send a favorable recommendation to the county commissioners. And Barr uh, concurs with this recommendation. Barr feels that it furthers, uh, or this ordinance would further many of the goals stated in the county's comprehensive plan. This includes increasing and improving upon the quality and diversity of the housing stock, addressing the relative lack of affordable housing in the county, under this ordinance, the language uh, provided would have homes between 800 and 1200 square feet, so they're relatively modest. And I think it's been projected that individuals earning between 60 and 120% of the county median income would be able to afford these homes. Furthermore, uh, it would encourage and direct growth within designated planning areas of the county, as the areas that these cottage homes could be in are already designated for multifamily zones in the county. Uh, and, and speaking kind of candidly and just my point of view, I think they're kind of neat. Um, this is for the sort of owner or potential homeowner that wants that standalone home, but maybe doesn't want to maintain a large yard. And these standalone cottage homes might be more aesthetically pleasing to Queen Anne's County and the Eastern Shore than a townhouse or a duplex might be. So having said all that, uh, we do hope that you will vote to approve this ordinance. Thank you for your time. I'm going to have a one. Thank you, Wick. I'm good. That was all for public comment. We have one more here. Barry. I'm Barry Waterman from Centerville, and I'm familiar with the said developer. Um, 
I didn't key up WIC. Those are, uh, those are just statements from the board. But the, the fact is that this ordinance has nothing to do with increasing the amount of units that can be built. I happen to have a piece of property in Graysonville that I can build five townhouses on. I could do that today. I could go apply for them and build them. Five townhouses in the middle of Graysonville doesn't seem to fit to me. The idea that you could take those same townhouses and spread them out and add a little porch and a little architectural interest to them makes them a product that people might want who want a house that's affordable yet don't want to live in an attached house. Maybe they have a dog, maybe they listen to the television really loudly. There's lots of reasons that people might want that. So this is simply expanding the housing choices for people in Queen Anne's County. It's not increasing the number of houses whatsoever. So this uh, cottage houses happen to be one of the hottest commodities across the country right now. Um, we no longer read about tiny houses, you read about cottage homes, because it's not, and it's not all affordable. Our ordinance is written to address housing affordability, and if you want to build cottage homes, they're going to have to be affordable because of the size limitations on it. But there are places in, in uh, Seattle and, and places in the Northwest where there are cottage communities of million and a half dollar homes. They're just built around a, um, a shared community space, whether that's a, a, a garden or, or community uh, um, garden plots or a fire pit or uh, whatever. So um, our ordinance is designed to address affordable housing, and I just want to make it clear that it is not increasing the, the yield on anything. It's only making the product a nicer product that would fit better. There's very few places that this can go. It can only go in places that are already zoned for townhouses or apartment buildings. So it's not expanding where it can go. Um, so anyway, that's it. So it's not, not a density thing, it's aesthetics, basically. That's correct. All it's, it is. It's, um, it's, it's only aesthetics. Yeah. And, and, and in terms of size, Barry, does, uh, so you're saying like it's a 1,200-square-foot, what would that townhouse be? Would it be a 1,200-square-foot townhouse? It's just really... Yeah, I mean, basically, they had a, well, we started with, uh, we have a little house that we built that's this 20 by 30. We built it as a single-family house over on Holton Street two or three times, so it's pretty affordable. And we were, we were going to build that as, as a townhouse. But no matter what you do to a townhouse, it still looks like a townhouse. Mm -hmm. You can make it look a little better. I mean, not that townhouses aren't nice looking, but there aren't townhouses in the middle of Graysonville, uh, four or five of them, ten of them stuck together. There aren't big apartment buildings, all of which are allowed. This is just a better product for, um, for really Graysonville and Stevens are the only places that this can work because you have to have both public order and public sewer or you can't make it work. So... Um, Anyway, I, I think the ordinance is, is good. It's going to be a work in progress. Uh, the ordinance requires any project to go in front of the Planning Commission for architectural um, review. Um, I, I think it's going to add not a lot of, there's not going to be a, a whole ton of cottage development, but I do think it will add housing stock that's different than what's available to the public today. Okay. okay. Thank you. Thank you. Any other public comment with respect to County Ordinance 2013? And we'll close it. Comment. All righty. Okay, you'll leave the record for, for two, two weeks. weeks. Okay. All right. Thank you, Commissioners. And next we have County Ordinance 21-01. This is the Public Facilities Bond Authorization of. 2021 and this is our bond authorization bill which would authorize the county to borrow up to 
$13 million for the purpose of financing and or refinancing certain public projects and uh, facilities in Queen Anne's County. So, Patrick. Mm. This is a hearing being, this is a hearing being held by the County Commissioner of Queen Anne's County, January 26, 2021, at 6.10 p.m. in the County Commissioner Meeting Room, Liberty Building, 107 North Liberty Street, Centerville, Maryland, to receive public comment regarding the proposed County Ordinance 21 dash 01 the public local law to authorize and empower Queen Anne's County, Maryland to borrow from time to time to borrow not more than $13 million for the public purpose of financing and refinancing certain public facilities, all more particularly described in the ordinance and to evidence such borrowing by the issuance and sale of public and private sale upon its full faith and credit one or more series of general obligation bonds. All persons who wish to comment on the proposed ordinance can do, may do so at the hearing. Uh, to comply with the governor's proclamation uh, to minimize first and first spread of COVID-19, we ask the citizens to participate by email, live video, or audio. Speakers be limited to three minutes each. Written testimony may be submitted on before the hearing date to the county commissioner's office. Copies of the proposed ordinance have been available at the county commissioner's office during normal business hours. All hearing sites are accessible to individuals with disabilities. Sign language interpreters and assistive listening systems are available. For the record, the proceeding will be a certificate of publication indicating notice of night hearing published in the Bay Times and Record Observer newspapers of general circulation in Queen Anne's County. No one has signed up. No virtual comment. All right. Close comment. Close again. We're done. I think we're done. All right, thank you, Mr. Thompson. All right, commissioners, we can get back to our normal business tonight. If you want to flip back to tab number three, and we are, we left off with item number two on page nine. That is a series of property liens, and this is a request to approve resolutions 2102 and 2103 to place a lien on two properties for nuisance violations at two properties, uh, one in Grayson, one in Steve, Queenstown and one in Price. Okay, a motion on that, please. I move to approve resolutions 21-02 through 21-03 to place a lien on each of the properties listed in the County Zoning Administrator's memorandum dated January 26, 2021 for nuisance violations. Second. Got a motion and a second. Any discussion? All those in favor? Aye. 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 Five vote. Thank you, Commissioners. Item number three on page 22 is a recommendation from the Upper Shore Workforce Investment Board Executive Director Daniel McDermott for the appointment of Trienda V. Thomas to serve a three-year term on their board. Mr. Thomas has a quite extensive resume there, so can I get a motion on that, please? I move to concur with Tarenda V. Thomas serving a three-year term on the uh, USWIB. Second. We got a motion and a second. Any discussion? All those in favor say aye. 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 Five zero. Thank you, commissioners. Letter number four on page 23 is a request for an approval to be exempt from the normal procurement policy for providing extra nursing staff 
to the health department. This is from uh, Dr. Ciotola uh, for the COVID-19 pandemic. And these nurses are used for contact tracing, testing, and now vaccination. I move to grant Queen Anne County Department of Health an exemption to the normal procurement policy to <clears throat> provide for extra staffing during COVID-19 national pandemic. Second. Get a motion and a second. Any discussion? All those in favor? Aye. 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 Five zero. Okay. Thank you, commissioners. Okay. We took care of item five, so we will go to item number six on page 32, and this is a petition to terminate a public easement uh, on Gibson's Grant, the Community Pier, and the Waterfront Park area. Okay, so on, on this one, I'm going to table this one. This is a, in a way, it's a disposition of an interested land because it's an easement. And because of the way it was created was through the growth allocation, I want to do two things. I want to make sure that whatever decision we make um, is not going to run afoul of the Critical Areas Commission. They may say they have no say in it. They may say well, we need to get some word on that. And I also want to make sure that we're getting um, some um, advice of counsel that we're handling whatever decision we make the right way since it is a disposition and in land interest. Okay. Okay. We will try to take that up at a future meeting then and get the council on here. Can, can we can we make a commitment to the commissioner's meeting in two weeks? Provided that we hear back from critical areas, then yes, we'll get on the agenda in two weeks. Yeah. Amy okay. could probably tell you how long it's going to take for critical area. Ms. Mordock, can you hear us? Hey, Amy, you're a co- yeah, there you go. Yes, I can hear you. Good evening. Um, yeah, this is an item that uh, I believe that we need to vet through Emily Veneri, who is the Attorney General uh, liaison to the Critical Area Commission. Um, and I'm, I, I'm not quite certain how long it will take her to um, give us the input that we need. All right. Well, listen, let's, let's get the request out to her this week yep. and then get this back on the agenda as soon as we hear back. We'll do that. Okay. You have a question? That's it. Normally, but go ahead. easement was not granted through an ordinance, a county ordinance. The easement was put in by the developer into the Gibson Grant Declaration. It is not part of county ordinance 0519. And in, in, in the declaration, it gives, us, it gives us an out. It says specifically in there, that the community can request written approval from the commissioners from the county to terminate the easement. That is our out. That is the legal vehicle. It doesn't say anything about having to get special permission from anybody other than the county commissioners. Right. I understand. We're just making sure that we're following all things that we have to do on our, our end. There are often times where there's issues that come up where we have different properties that we have to have dispensations and there's different requirements from different agencies and we just want to make sure we're doing the right thing. Okay. okay. I just, just one other point is I'm, I want to make it clear the, the pier is not in the 55 acre conservation area. 
and it is not sub, the, our petition has nothing to do with that area. We are not trying to change anything in that area. I understand. Thank you. Thank you. All right, thank you, commissioners. Um, next, we have item number seven on page 66, and this is a mutual aid agreement. This is a resolution that we received from Sheriff Hoffman uh, for mutual aid for law enforcement agencies to essentially go or be sent beyond the boundaries of their respective counties. And this is uh, between Wacomico, Somerset, Worcester, Dorchester, Talbot, Caroline, Kent, and Queen Anne's counties. Uh, Patrick Thompson, our county attorney, has reviewed it and um, has recommended that we hold a public hearing uh, for this uh, item. And, and, and council's recommendation is because there's so many other counties that are, are affected by this? Yes, he just recommended that we introduce it uh, like we normally would with any other legislation, advertise it, and hold a public hearing on the- Have we done that before? I mean- I do remember that. I, I remember uh, them coming in and just explaining what the, what the parameters of it all are all about. I think it's more to just keep us and the public informed when they see a vehicle, you know, a sheriff's vehicle in the next county over, people don't go- Pulling them over. Right, you know what I mean? So just, I think it was more of an informational piece and in, in how the process works and what the parameters of the, of the deal are. Okay. That, 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 I mean, it's, um, we always have to be cautious about mutual aid agreements with other law enforcement jurisdictions, yeah. you know, in our, in our county and, okay. I understand that uh, this is sort of a pro forma amongst the, all the Eastern Shore counties, not extending powers, but just causing them to be coherent. But, fine. You don't need a motion on that. You're just going to set that hearing yeah. up. Yeah, I would like a motion on it's that. It's an introduction. You want a motion on that? Sure. Just, just make a motion to hold a public motion. hearing. Yeah. I move to hold a hearing on the mutual aid agreements. Second. Got a motion to second. All those in favor? Any discussion? I don't think so. All those in favor? Aye. Aye. All right. Thank you, commissioners. Item number eight is budget amendment CC25 for the Clean Chesapeake Coalition, and we approved a contract uh, two weeks ago, and this budget amendment provides funding for that membership fee for that group. Motion to approve CC25. Second. Got a motion to second. Any second. discussion? Todd, is that your signature on here? Um, Whose signature is that? Yes, it is. Okay, just wonder. <laughs> yes, it is. That is my signature. Any discussion? All. <laughs> all those in favor? Uh, Aye. Okay, thank you, commissioners. Okay, we have two desk items. The first is item number nine. This is a proposal for the regrading of a uh, ditch down in the Kent Narrows adjacent to the um, county parking lot, which is also where we have our MTA bus stop, uh, and also adjacent to the, on the um, north side of the hotel property. So this was a proposal that was put forth uh, by Rick Breeding and the developer for some shared responsibility on the maintenance and regrading and cleaning up of that area. So um, any action on that or if you want us to look at this and come up with some options with our public works team, so, um, do that. I'll make a motion that we table it until we can get a better idea what some of these other options are in addition to what has been presented to us already. I'll second that. 
Yeah, I think we just table it. We don't need to even have it as a motion. Don't need a motion. We just table it till we get some more information. Actually, there was no motion made, so there's nothing to table. Oh, well, Bach. You just you just don't even uh, act on. So that we're good. At all. We right. can investigate and come back. Yeah. You're good. Okay, so You're it's good. not a motion to table. You just, just say. Table it. Yep. Just say we'll Got discuss it. this at a later date, once we get yep. some more information. But. Okay. Just so you're clear, I could make a motion to say we're going to vote for it, and it would override his table if I got a second. That is correct. Okay. Yep. Just, just clarifying that. that Not that I'm going to do that, but. I'm going to have to make up my cue cards for Robert's Rules of Order That's right. Here. All right, so we will, we, we will table number nine. Okay. That's right. And uh, finally, action item number 10. Uh, this is just a list of the current bills that Queen Anne's County has put forth with our oh, delegation. And um, there's a memo and a, and a short list attached to that. And we got notice today from um, Delegate Aaronson's legislative aide, and they would like uh, someone to testify on each one of these bills. So um, I'm looking for volunteers. I can certainly testify on them. We can have multiple folks. There is a new procedure this year on how that gets set up because of the virtual world of the General Assembly. So um, if anybody is interested in testifying on any of these or all of these. I don't have a 10, so if you send me the 10, Email. I'll sign up for some of them. You got an action item ten? Uh, it's a yeah. It's a desk, desk item too. Yes. No, I don't have one. That's what I'm saying. So just as long as somebody sends them to me, I'll be happy to. Yeah, yeah. It's the we had. Um, Thank you. Several alcoholic beverages bills. The hunting Sunday yeah. hunting bill. So we we can just email you. Yeah. Our bill. Yeah. Right? Just email as as Margie and time. myself, and we'll get you signed up. It's it's a bit of a process, but we'll. Uh, we haven't done oh, it by Zoom, right? Yes. Yeah. It is, but it's it's so convoluted getting on there. I mean, because you're making your appointment two days in advance. Just make sure you do written testimony so that at least it gets in there. <laughs> Don't rely on the fact that you're going to get the Zoom time to do it. That's what I'm being told. So get okay. it. Get, yeah, get the written testimony in. So we could zoom in per Delegate Aaron's request to comment, but never get a chance to be heard. You're, you're, you got, I think you got to sign up two days in advance to get the yeah, Zoom Bruce, time. That's what Bruce's job is. He's, yeah, we'll, yeah. We'll get he's got to get we... you time on there. But, but, but like the Senate side, I think I've heard that they're only doing four pro, four opponents per bill right now just because of logistics. So, that's but, crazy. but Delegate Aaron did say that he just did one where they had 50. So it's not like, you know, it's just different House and Senate side right now. So. They suspend the NEPA on the Bay Bridge because you can't have meetings. But in Annapolis, we're rolling forward with new laws with four, four, and four against testimonies. Mm -hmm. That's just a record amount of law. That's just total. Good Lord. So, so, but this is just simply saying, you know, if Chris, if you're interested in testifying on House Bill 349, then you just need to let Delegate Aaron Snow, and right. he's going to make sure. Right, that, right, right, right. right. We'll, we'll get you signed up. We wanted get you a slot, yeah. We wanted to make sure commissioners knew where the where all of our bills were mm -hmm. in the process. We have a few hearings that are scheduled on that sheet. We'll update that periodically, but if you're interested in testifying on any of those, let us know. We'll make sure you're signed up and ready to go. The good news is we don't have to drive to Annapolis and sit over there all day waiting to get into the hearing room. The bad news is it's a little more of a procedure this year. It, it says here, um, Delegate Aarons would like to have someone testify on all Queen Anne's County bills. Yeah, we typically send somebody over. Okay. I've done a number of those and other directors, but just bringing that to the board's attention as well. All right. 
Hey, can we go to uh, tab four, item three, real quick? It's informational. Yes, sir. It's the Queen Anne's County Public Schools transfer. Yep. Tab four, item three, page 21. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's, it's, correct me if I'm wrong, but this says that they, they had uh, salaries to contract services, they moved $375,000. And I was also under the impression that we were the only ones that could approve them moving from categories. That's one thing I. This is within the major state categories. Right. If they go from one category to a different one, then we have to approve that. But this is within. This is inside of one category, then. Yes. You only got you only got seven, Jim. Okay. All right. Just that's why I want a clarification. Thank, yep. That's you. right. Okay. No, it's fine. Right? Yeah. All right. And uh, lastly, let me just mention before we go to presentations, there was one other desk item on your on your desk, and it also for information purposes. And that is the uh, the schedule for the uh, uh, the bond sale this year. So uh, just so you had that, and if that gets um, updated, we'll let you know. Of note, um, we are scheduled to have conference calls with the rating agencies the week of March 15th. So the second year in a row with no trip. Jesus. That's just wrong. Yeah. Okay, that brings us to presentations. Have a good breakfast there. Yeah. Vaccinated. Right. Let's go. <laughs> We're ready for our presentations. Uh, if you want to turn to tab number six, we have uh, character counts, coach specialist Kelly Huber, proclamation on uh, item one on page one. Kelly? Hello, good evening, everyone. Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. Um, just here with a quick update on character counts. Um, I think it's really exciting to see how it's thriving during this pandemic. Um, all the support that we get from the teachers, the schools, um, the local businesses, organizations, our advisory board, who I thought is kind of amazing when a lot of people were canceling different meetings throughout the whole summer, we had an advisory Zoom meeting every single month. So they're still there, they're supporting us like crazy, um, and I love it. Um, also to you commissioners for listening to me every quarter and um, proclaiming each month the pillar of the month. Um, our coaches who, gosh, continue to support us. There's so many individual people and coaches that remain so involved. Coach Lance Richardson, who has been in one of our videos, has filmed some of his own videos. Sheriff Hoffman was a guest on one of the videos. Um, Julie in the Queen Anne's County Library. They do some videos and some story times for us for character counts throughout this pandemic. Um, coaches like Jay, who was here last time I was here, Barbie, Martha, Steve, Mike, Carla, and the list goes on. I mean, there's so many coaches that continue, even despite the craziness of everything. So um, it, may, it warms my heart, and I think character counts is just, in a time when things are so different, we need it. So um, we continue on with the character counts lessons. Um, we do have coaches for classes that do them live with their teacher and their classes and they can interact. We also have coaches that just do like a recorded, a pre-recorded where they share them with their teachers. Some of them share them with all the classes throughout Queen Anne's County. So it, it just kind of varies. Um, a big thank you to one of our biggest parts is Queen Anne's County T TV and the Super Show, the Character Counts Super Show. Um, 
They find time every month to work with our coaches to record different videos, um, to invite our coaches in to work and be part of the video. So um, couldn't do it without them. So thank you very much. Um, our newest video for January is out, it's Fairness. You can look, last time I kind of couldn't figure out where to find things, but on our website, Character Counts, www.peopleofcharacter.org is our, um, I have all the videos posted on there. You can go to Queen Anne's County TV, Facebook, um, YouTube channel, so all kinds of different places. Um, the exciting part of it is I don't only send it to elementary schools, it goes out to the middle schools, the high schools, and I just talked to aging and I'm gonna send it out to the older people because I think character matters at any age and these videos make you smile deep down inside, so I think it's a neat thing. Um, Queen Anne's County Mentoring is who wrote our proclamation for tonight. Unfortunately, Patricia, who is the Character Counts and Community Mentoring Coordinator, is not here today. Um, she's homesick. So um, in honor of National Mentoring Month, I did have her write it, write the proclamation, and we have some special guests with us tonight that we have invited. They are a perfect, I guess, specimen of a mentor-mentee relationship that have been together for five years now. Um, so I'd like to introduce Marianne and Selena Casey. So when we go ahead. I'm the mentor, you can tell I'm mentor. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Marianne Buckley and I've been Selena Casey's mentor for five and a half years. I met her in eighth grade, where I spent most of my life, 45 years. and. Um, I just am so proud of her and I'm so glad that she, I was given this opportunity to work with her. And she wrote a little, unbeknownst to me, she wrote a little presentation she'd like to read to you. Okay, so if I cry. <laughs> Hi, my name is Selena Casey. Thank you for allowing me this time to speak. I met Marianne about five years ago through the mentoring program. When I, was when I first met her, I was hiding behind menus when meeting new people. But with her help, <laughs> I'm standing here today talking to you guys. Since then, I've success <laughs> successfully graduated high school, held up two jobs at Food Lion and a kid's gym, and am signed up to take my driver's ed class. Overall, meeting Marianne was one of the best things that has ever happened to me. <laughs> very nice, very nice. We had a long, hard struggle because she, went, she has an IEP mm -hmm. and she graduated from the life skills class at the high school. We're really proud of her. Congratulations. Congratulations. She did an excellent job. Outstanding. Good job. And speaking in front of this crowd is no easy task. Good job, you <laughs> I think we have a proclamation. Yeah. I do. There's a right? problem here. They're all men. I know. <laughs> <laughs> if you want to wait, we're going to read the proclamation. All right, I have the honor of reading Proclamation 2107. Whereas 20 years ago, Queen Anne's County was declared a character counts <coughs> community and all citizens were called upon to embrace the six pillars of character and incorporate them into their daily lives. And whereas the character counts pillar of the month for January is fairness. And whereas fairness means being free from favoritism, self-interest, discrimination or bias, and is exactly how we should treat others. 
and whereas all citizens are created equal, have the right to equal opportunities and deserve to be treated with fairness, and whereas all citizens have the right to express themselves but must remain open-minded and reasonable and judge with integrity when listening and responding to others, whereas all citizens will strive to be fair and play by the rules, abide by the laws, and never take advantage of others, and whereas all citizens will admit when wrong and never blame others carelessly, and whereas no citizen will be judged by their appearance but instead by the content of their character, now, therefore, we, the County Commissioners of Queen Anne's County, do hereby designate the Character Counts Pillar of the Month for January to be fairness. Very good. Selena, if you could step up. This is for you. So that's a Queen Anne's County Challenge coin. And you obviously stepped up to the challenge. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you. Yep. You too. Thank you. Commissioners, our next presenter is our Director of Emergency Services, Mr. Scott Haas, and he has his quarterly update, and he's got it queued up here on the back. So, Scott. Welcome. Good evening, Commissioners, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to give you a quarterly update. Uh, one thing that I like about our first quarter update is it gives us time to kind of look back and reflect over the last 12 months and how last year kind of flowed, and my update can be summarized in probably three words, COVID, 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 and I can open up for questions and... I'm not familiar with COVID, if you could explain <laughs> that for us. <laughs> so, in saying that, uh, we've really taken a team approach with, with how we've handled the COVID response. And as far as DES, the Department of Emergency Services, I can't tell you how proud I am of my staff in their response to this, because they basically had to retool and relearn everything uh, when it comes to response and how we handle things in the field. They have spent the last 12 months being on the front line of uh, this crisis or this pandemic. Uh, from an emergency management standpoint, uh, we've been a partner with the health department for over 12 months or coming up on our 12th month. The emergency operations center went active in March of last year. And to date, it's the longest activation in county history for an emergency operations center. Uh, our staff, on the DES side uh, has been involved in a lot of the components of the response. Uh, some of the highlights out of the Emergency Operations Center is uh, in each one of these has been, been a test to us. Uh, but the first, the first challenge was upping testing sites and providing testing. Uh, to date, as of last week when I put this presentation together, we are around 42,000 tests that we've run in the county over the last 12 months which is almost the total count of our population, which is, in my opinion, pretty impressive on the staff and their commitment to do this. Uh, the next challenge that we ran into, which uh, DES was heavily involved with, was the logistics component of, of the response. And the picture that you see up there is uh, one of our first responses that we had to do uh, was picking up PPE uh, from the National Guard. And that's an actual picture of picking up a, a load of PPE at uh, Cambridge Dorchester Regional Airport. Uh, one of our crew, uh, paramedic Yerke, which has been promoted since then, uh, kind of oversaw the logistics and oversaw our logistics for about eight months. Uh, luckily for us, he had a medical procedure and was on light duty. Unlucky for him, he had a medical procedure and he was on light duty. Uh, but he did a, a fine job doing our logistics and is still connected to it today, although he's back out in the field. 
And then our final challenge that we're faced with right now is vaccination and how we're administering the vaccines. Uh, to date, uh, again, from last week's numbers, we heard about 2,200 doses of uh, administered vaccine. Uh, that was for the 1A and 1B group. And we're still kind of in the 1A, 1B group right now and kind of working on transitioning over to 1C. Uh, Right now, uh, one of our challenges was upping our capacity to be able to do the volume that we need to do in the county in a short period of time. And I am pretty confident that, that we have uh, met that challenge and uh, we've established sites throughout the county to administer vaccines. And I really wanna highlight a couple of these sites, which is uh, one, Ken Island Volunteer Fire Department, from the beginning, let's open their doors gave us their hall and basically said, you have it until you don't need it anymore. Uh, so basically they have given us ownership of their hall. We have kept everything set up. We haven't had to tear anything down and we can just walk in and start, start a clinic when, whenever uh, we're prepared to do so. Goodwill Volunteer Fire Department also stood up and uh, volunteered their facility for us. Since then, we've moved the site to the Kramer Center uh, as a secondary site. We are prepared to move into Sellersville Volunteer Fire Department's hall. Uh, they've opened their doors for us to be able to administer vaccines uh, North County. We're currently not in a position to be able to do that, uh, but we're prepared to move up there once we get enough doses to- And that's to because be of there. supply is why we're not prepared to- Right, right now, uh, we are capable of doing our weekly supply in probably half a day. Uh, so we typically get the delivery of our supplies on Tuesday and by Wednesday, we've administered everything that we've received. Currently, uh, at the time that, that I prepared this, we were number one in the state as far as administering percentage-wise, the amount of doses that we received. I looked at the stats today, we're number three uh, in the state. Uh, we're number three at being able to administer 103.9% of the vaccine that we received. So again, I'm very proud of the health department's response on that and my department's response on that. It's been a mix of crew between the two departments at the vaccination sites. Half the people administering the doses are the nurses from the health department and the other half are paramedics from emergency services. All right, how do you administer 103.9%? Your, your reserves, your I was, reserves. I was, hoping, I was hoping somebody would ask that question. It's numbers. Well, it's you know not really, you question. can't really so, say reserves because so, it's not reserves. We're squeezing the glass bottle, right? That yeah. is exactly what we're doing. Yeah. So if you're, if you're familiar with Lori Morris, our okay. special operations chief, she knows how to squeeze doses out of bottles like you wouldn't believe. And <laughs> she is able to get a 10 dose vial and, and turn it into much more than what it is. So we've been getting more doses out of what we've been supplied. So um, nothing gets wasted. Nothing gets wasted. And at the end of the day, if we have a dose left over, we do not leave until we find a person to give the dose to. So somebody's hired in 103 points. So there's two counties that have people that are even better getting it out. Oh, yes. Wow. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but you need to watch Lori. She is pretty good. Something to strive for. They could be adding water to theirs for all we know. I mean, ours is all, <laughs> all that. Don't start any rumors. <laughs> uh, well, good. But again, very proud of what they're doing. Uh, so pictured up there, uh, you, you're all familiar with Chief Wheatley. That is Chief Wheatley all dressed up doing a test in our parking lot. Uh, one of the responsibilities DES took on 
was uh, we've basically tested all the first responders. So if a, a first responder is exposed, we're responsible to give the test uh, and administer the test to them. We also oversaw testing the entire staff of Queen Anne's County. And we went from department to department and we did 100%, I believe it was 100% uh, testing of all staff within Queen Anne's County. And our department directly oversaw that, that component of it also. Uh, we've assisted the health department at the beginning and, and kind of the way I describe DES's job is every brush fire that comes up, we help put it out and then Doc's crew at the end of it figures out how to do everything and then we move on to the next brush fire. And then we put out the next brush fire, figure out how to do it and then Doc's crew takes over and we've kind of handled that this way throughout this whole crisis. How are you doing with the staffing at, at the vaccination? locations no problems plenty of volunteers there there is no problems we really haven't had a need for volunteers uh, the health department's administrative staff has basically handled the check-in component uh, I've been the door guy most of the nights uh, Lori is the prep person who preps all the vaccinations and then we typically have three to four tables set up with two to three vaccinators per table that are just constantly administering doses and it's a mix between uh, some agency nurses that the health department has hired to their full-time nursing staff that the health department has and our paramedics that are on duty. Okay, good, good. So in the mix of COVID, uh, it's been easy to overlook some of the things that happened throughout the year. So one of the things that happened throughout the year, we had a tropical storm roll through. And uh, it's easy to forget that we I had to double check because I really didn't believe we had a tropical storm that rolled through. But uh, with a tropical storm, we had a confirmed tornado that uh, went through Queenstown. And uh, luckily, it did not do any damage to anybody's residence or there was nobody injured from it. But uh, it was a pretty significant event that happened in the county that's easily overlooked because of COVID. Uh, another thing that's easily overlooked is our opioid crisis and we're still in the mix of the opioid crisis. In the middle of COVID, uh, and I'd still like to see the data at the end of this, exactly how everything happened and why it happened the way it did. But we really uh, took a nosedive and we went for a long period of time mm -hmm. without an overdose in the county. And it was pretty incredible how long of a period of time we went without an overdose in the county. Uh, but I'm sad to report, uh, that changed and the numbers started increasing again. And if you look at the sign numbers up there, that was right before the end of the year. That was probably, that picture was taken probably about two weeks before the end of the year. And we ended up basically matching last year's totals and we had two fatalities right at the end of the year from an overdose. Uh, and but the one good thing, if there is a good thing, is Anne Arundel, Western Shore counties all had almost 10% increases in deaths. And, and we did and we not. didn't, and we, we didn't. did not. And so. And really, if you really take a look at those signs, the, what to really look at is 2018 is when we peaked, where we had 122 overdoses and 16 deaths. And basically the last two years, we've been very steady at the same number, which isn't a good thing, but we, we have stabilized it to some degree. And 17 was a half a year. Yes, that came in. That was only it was less than a half a year, I think, by the time we got them up and started. So, but again, this is something that COVID has really done a good job at covering up and not keeping it in the head, in the in the in the highlight of everything, and 
just want to remind everybody that it's still out there and it's still a problem and we're still working on it. We haven't stopped working on it. So our EMS division, uh, much like the overdoses, we went for a long period of time uh, and our transports and calls for service went way down, uh, which is good news. The bad news with that is a lot of the reason the call volume went down were people were afraid to go to the hospital. Uh, they're afraid of contracting COVID from going to the hospital. And I fully understand that. But the problem that we started running into is, although our call volume went down, the severity of the call went up and because people were waiting way too long to initiate 911 and waited too long to go to the hospital. And it created a lot of problems for us. So even though our numbers dipped down from the prior year, the severity level was much higher this year than what we've, we've seen in many years past. Uh, because of COVID, we had to retool everything that we do on the EMS side. Uh, and probably the biggest thing that we had to retool is decon time and how much of time it takes to break the unit down, decon it, and then decon the crew after, after a call. And to date, we are still doing that. It adds about 90 minutes to every call that we go on that we're out of service before we can go back into service to, to, to respond to another call. Uh, but again, it's something that I'm really proud of our clinicians that we have out in the field and how they've handled this and how they've maintained it and how they have adapted to every challenge that we've thrown at them. They have just done a fantastic job. Who would ever think, I mean, until you just mentioned that, you would think that, you know, an ambulance goes on a call and then goes back into service. And you don't realize that even though the call's over, each one of those units is being cleaned as, long, as, as well as the staff being decontaminated and ready to go back into service. And it just adds another 90 minutes, you know, to the time that we're out of service. Who would have even thought that that would be an issue? We didn't, but we do now. And, uh, so the interesting thing, so uh, if we have a suspected case, so our 911 center screens, the 911 calls come in and they screen uh, the call to see if they feel like it could be a potential COVID call. And if it is, we dispatch it as a PUI or a person under investigation. It kind of gives the crew a heads up that there's something not 100% right. You might want to put all your gear on when you get there. Uh, but up there is our totals of, of PUI transports that we did throughout the year, which is 337 that we actually classed as that. Uh, of those, uh, 86 of them came back positive on hospital test. 92 were unknown, and 159 of them were uh, negative test results when they hit to the receiving facility. Thank you. Although they test positive, negative, we still have to do the same decon procedures on, on the, the return trip. Uh, some of the, the decon involves fogging of the, uh, of the equipment every time that we return. The providers basically have to strip down, wash all of their clothes, and they typically take a shower afterwards, uh, redress, and then re-equip the, uh, the unit, and that's why it takes 90 minutes to, to turn everything around and go back into service. So, if, if enough wasn't enough, we decided it was a great time to uh, <laughs> purchase a new CAD system. We also thought it was a great time to start switching to next generation 911 because we didn't have enough work going on in the, in the 911 center. <laughs> and then on top of that, we decided, you know what, we, we really need to do some building renovations and let's uproot the whole department, move out of the building and relocate everybody and keep our service going 100%. So uh, since we all thought that was a good idea, 
that's exactly what we did. So where we stand right now, uh, we have signed a contract with Taylor Technologies. They're our new CAD vendor. Uh, we're in the process of working out our implementation of that. Uh, we're projecting our completion date's gonna be December of this year. Uh, that sounds like a long period of time to wait to transition over to a CAD. But just taking a look on the law enforcement side, law enforcement has 20 years worth of digital records that we have to convert from one system to another. Uh, and then we have to ensure that we did not miss any of the 20 years of data and it's all into the new system. And we have to do that with every public safety entity in Queen Anne's County as, as we transition over. So we have a lot of work to do, but we're pretty confident we'll have it done in the next 12 months. Next generation 911. Uh, this is something else that I'm very proud of our department and, and what we've accomplished with it. Uh, ESCA, which is a, a nine county consortium, uh, which is all the counties of the Eastern Shore got together and we all felt that it was in our best interest to stick as a group, uh, put out an RFP and select a next generation 911 provider. And we felt we would get better service and a better response if it was nine counties going out and doing it instead of just one at a time. Uh, the, the part that I'm extremely proud of is our communications division basically uh, took the bull by the horns on this project and we're the lead on this project. So Queen Anne's County was the lead on this project. Uh, Queen Anne's County signed the first contract with AT&T. All the other counties in, in this commitment are piggybacking off of our contract that we signed with AT&T. And I believe uh, we're close to having all nine signed and ready to move forward with AT&T. And again, we're, we're estimating, because there's a lot of infrastructure that needs built with this and a lot of fiber that needs run to the 911 center. So we're estimating to be fully next-gen 911 compliant by, by December of this year. And we'll give you continued updates as we move forward. As far as our renovations, uh, and this is, this is probably the biggest thing I'm proud of altogether, and I, and I really, if, I was allowed to go into our current 911 center. I would ask you guys to come out and take a look at it because it's, to me, an engineering marvel on what they did. Uh, but they basically moved our 911 center out of our building and into a garage that sits beside our building. And if you just look at the wiring configuration that's needed to do that, it, it's amazing that they were able to do it without a hiccup. Hmm. We didn't miss one 911 call. Not one system went down, and our crew did a fantastic job transitioning over. Our support services division basically worked, I'd say, two weeks solid in moving every piece of equipment basically one at a time from one location to the other, hooking it back up and making sure that it was 100% operational and, and functional. Uh, the fun part is in probably June of this year, when the project's complete, we get to move it all back in, so we get to do it all over again. But everybody will be happy to move back into the 911 center. And actually pictured up there is the garage that doesn't look like a garage anymore, but that is a garage converted into a 911 center. And DPW did a, a fantastic job uh, laying the groundwork so we could move in there. The last thing I have on my agenda for tonight is, uh, which I'm really sad to announce, and I'm, I'm sure you're already aware of, but John Chu, our past director, passed away January 10th of this year. Uh, 
I can't tell you what John meant to me. He was uh, a true leader of our department. Uh, John spent 20 years in the Park Service and was one of the first national paramedics in the United States. And he was the first paramedic to become director of our department, which was kind of unique. Uh, John retired from the Park Service and went to NHTSA. And what was very uh, refreshing for the EMS guys, when you say, I know the guy who wrote the book, John wrote the book. John wrote the book on how EMS is across the United States. He oversaw the project through NHTSA. Uh, if, if you had a question on why we do something in the field today, John could put you in touch with the person that, that created that or came up with that, wrote that protocol, and quite often he did do that. And probably one of the most unique things about John that I truly loved was he never really told us, like he never really directed me ever to do anything. He let us kind of figure it out on our own. He was there to kind of steer the ship, but he let his worker bees work and let, let everybody figure it out. Like there's more than one way to skin a cat. And he really taught me that lesson. Uh, but like I said, I can go on and on. Uh, the unfortunate thing, I talked to him three days uh, before he passed away. And he just called out of the blue just to see how we were doing with the, the vaccinations and, and how the response was going. And he did that every time we had a, a center operation. Uh, every time a hurricane rolled through, he would just all, he would always pick the right time to call, but he would call just to say, hey, I'm, I'm still out here. I'm thinking about you guys. And for what I'm seeing, you're doing a great job. But anyway, I am open for questions on anything that I presented. And, and thank you for the time of uh, going over what we've done for the last 12 months and mm. very good so i would like to say i i don't really know how to praise you enough for the job you've done really fantastic and uh really excellent i don't feel that i've done a job like i said I, i've done a lot of brush fire work but my team that I have out there has done the work and they have done a fantastic job and I can't praise them enough for what they've done. But let me just say that in the last month since the vaccinations came out, we commissioners have probably talked to you every day, including most weekend days and sometimes two or three times a day. And every time we had a problem, you fixed it. And it's just wonderfully commendable. Well, like I said, it's a, it's a team effort and we have, uh, it's been, it's been a, an interesting 12 months, but we, uh, I feel we have met every challenge. Uh, and one thing I'm really proud of on the vaccination side, uh, I am fully confident with the, the sites that we have set up. Our only limitation is the size of the venue. And we started with doing about 300 at a time, and, and we're pretty confident in a, in a seven hour time frame that we could probably turn a thousand people through the venues that we've got. Yeah. easily so uh, we ramped up quick and uh, I'm very happy with how we're moving forward well we've gone from being the eighth to the third to the first most efficient department most efficient county in the state and that's terrific Scott can, this, can the vaccine be given outdoors 
I'm just curious, like when the weather changes, if uh, tents could be set up to so, become vaccination sites or whatever. So the answer to that question is yes, it can be. And we could probably do a drive-through scenario. I would not recommend it with the groups that we're doing right now. The groups we're doing right now are higher risk groups. It's our kind of over 65 population. Yeah, but I'm hoping this is, but when we hit when we the, get them done by the spring, say March or April, hopefully we're through most of those people. Knock on wood, hopefully. So I, I'd say we can change how we're doing things when we hit the, the 18 to 65 age range and kind of doing the general everything. We can probably do it a lot different than what we're doing, but we really need to do it the way we are right now, just to monitor people and make sure nobody has a reaction and that everybody's safe by the time they leave the site. Okay. When do you start second round? We already started second round. So, uh, it gets pretty heavy on second round next week. Uh, that directly answered question this week. Uh, what the health department did was we received a very limited supply very late December, first week in January. And what they did was they went through and vaccinated everybody that was gonna work at the clinics uh, with the first dose. So they're in the process of getting the second dose now. Uh, first responders, healthcare providers, uh, came in kind of that following week. So next week, we are gonna be heavily doing second dose. So so out of the second doses that you've given, any feedback? So, a very good question. I know exactly where you're going. <laughs> uh, and it's a little too early to report on that. So as an example, I had two paramedics that received the second dose yesterday. One of them felt absolutely fine. One of them said they felt like they got hit by a freight train this morning, but felt better by late afternoon. So uh, there's been some mixed reports. I think uh, the heaviest bunch that got vaccinated on that first round was the health department. And I believe they had three people, didn't have any serious reaction, but they didn't feel 100% great right. the following morning. Uh, but the true test is next week and we'll have a lot more to report then. Absolutely. And I think it's important for people to know that while the supply on first doses is, was reduced this week, we do have second doses that are being coming in, they're being saved that way so that we, we, we're good to go for next week on those second doses. So the unfortunate thing which people don't understand is, uh, because a lot of question is, why aren't you using the second dose for the first dose? And the direct answer to that is, is that if we start using the second dose for the first dose, there's no guarantee we'll get the second dose for, those for that dose. Right. Uh, so we really need to stick with the regimen and we really need to stick with how we're administering it. Uh, and we're really sticking as close as we can to the plan and, and the people receiving the second dose over the next week are truly our first responders, our healthcare providers, and our, our, our public safety officials that are all the frontline people out there. Right. So I, I don't want to put you on the spot, but go ahead. You know, we, well, we all hear it. We all get calls. We all get emails, and we we see the chatter about you know why can't people get their shots? And you know we know we know that you can do 500, 1,000 a day but the public doesn't understand that we're constrained by what we're given. Mm -hmm. So if you're given, you know, 300 of them, you know, I guess, you know, to that point, that's all you can give out. So I guess my question is, the state gets, from what I've read, is 72,000 uh, vaccines a week. Mm -hmm. 
Do you know if there, it's proportionate, evenly proportioned across the population of the state by counties or are some getting more and some getting less? I mean, I know they're getting more and less, but is it in proportion to their, their population? And I guess that's the question I'm trying to ask. So the public has a better idea when, when they hear certain counties are getting 50,000 vaccines or 20,000 vaccines and we're getting 300. You know, uh, Anne Arundel County gets 12,000, we got 600. You know, but they're 10 times bigger than us. So, I mean, I guess if you got any input, you can give us on that. So I do have input, uh, but I am not the one to really ask the question because I really haven't I really compared, like, from one county to another. Uh -huh. uh, I have questioned some of the allotments some of the counties have received. Uh, what is clear is if we don't administer 75% of what we are given in one week, we don't get anything the following week. So our goal every week is to be at the 103%. Uh, we have maintained that. We're able to administer out everything that we've gotten. Uh, I've seen a lot of feedback on, on social media saying that, that we're not receiving doses because we're not giving it, and that is not true. Correct. We are, we are administering it as fast as we're receiving it. Mm -hmm. uh, by the end of, end of every week, we are out of doses. We, we don't have anything left in the, in the stock. Uh, so we're we not, have we we're have not met the, only the county that we got have, less this right. week. I want we, people to know that. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately for us, uh, we we did receive a lot less this week, and we had to shut down two of the the clinics that we planned on doing just because we didn't have enough doses to do them. And I guess the now the, the what's starting to be pushed out by the governor's office and the media is these you know uh, WalMarts and and all these pharmacies are going to be giving out shots now and, and Costco's and whatever. Uh, in Queen Anne's County, uh, your system is, is so perfect, uh, the, the state's not mandating any of that here. I mean, you're able to get, the health department's able to get all the vaccines for Queen Anne's County goes to the health department and the health department and you distribute them uh, that way. We're not, we're not putting them in any of our CVS. You know, we're not diluting our numbers by having to go to uh, second place uh, distribution points. Well, see that. And there's some pros and cons in what they're doing. So part of the distribution chain, and this is just my understanding of it, so mm -hmm. I, I'm, I'm giving you my perspective on it. It may not be the true perspective, but uh, a, a lot of our reduction this week was because of it going to the chains uh, to be able to supply the chains, the vaccination. And do the large counties need to go that way? Absolutely, they need to go that way because they've just got sheer numbers that they can't vaccinate quick enough. So I agree with that approach and they, they absolutely need to do that. But in Queen Anne's County and most of the counties on the Eastern shore, we're kind of the opposite. We're able to maintain and push out what we're receiving as quick as we're receiving it because we don't have the population numbers the other counties have that, that need that service. Um, and we saw the same thing in, you know, last March and April in May when, when everything got shut down in the Eastern Shore, one, one cure doesn't fit the entire state. And I know that Commissioner Corcorino, he's on the phone almost every day trying to, you know, to fight for getting us more vaccines for the county. And I just, you know, I just hope that the state would at least stay on the same playing field, stay on the same playing field and just be equal to everybody and, uh, you know, push it out there, uh, you know, so that it's by population. So we know, I mean, if we know it's by population, you know every week you're getting at least this much. And, you know, for them to cut your, our supply and other county supplies because they're opening up to some of these other locations is just a little bit, 
you know, unnerving to our citizens, to say the least. Well, I'd like to make note of the fact that we have very energetically represented to the governor and to right. the Secretary of Health of the state of Maryland that lacking a hospital, lacking a giant, lacking a Walmart, all these new operations and outlets otherwise, that we feel we should be given a more generous apportionment simply because we don't have those mm -hmm. and that we are doing 100% of our distribution immediately and they should challenge us they should challenge us with twice what they normally give us and see if we can maintain we'll that 100 well, we, we've done it through through exclamation and and ransom. we've done it, Bring through, it as we've done it every which way right yeah so scott my question it's kind of a two-parter so first um obviously they want to open the schools up so it's a big thing to get the teachers in um, and I understand that if we have a Queen Anne's County teacher, which we have about 30% do not live in Queen Anne's County, but are going to be asked to come teach in Queen Anne's County, can they come to Queen Anne's County and get their shot? That's part one. And part two is if a teacher can come to Queen Anne's County and get their shot, can a Queen Anne's County citizen go to another county and get their shot? So that's an interesting question. And uh, there is not a firm answer on that because I know Dr. Ciotola has been asking the question on his side through the health chain and I've been asking that question on my side through the emergency manager chain. Uh, so what, what is clear, a clear point blank answer to your question is it's a federal vaccine and we can't turn anybody away. Okay. Is, is the clear cut answer. Uh, but you know alone from the database that we've gotten, I mean, there's what 14,000 people that have uh, give or take that have, have responded to it that, that want the shot mm -hmm. and there's a good number of those you know or don't live in Queen Anne's County I mean people are pretty much signing up anywhere and everywhere they can to see who's going to call them back first so they yep. can get their shot well and, and that's exactly what's happening it's kind of my point to a lot of people that are discouraged by the fact they can't get in Queen Anne's County I'm right. kind of pointing them in a direction that reach out elsewhere you may Right. You may have success elsewhere. I, I, I mean, yeah. don't limit your, you know, because I know for a long time, like in North County, people were going to Middletown to get their COVID test because it was convenient. It was uh, it, the rapid test to go up there. So if you can go to Delaware and get the shots, like I'm just kind of framing that to yeah. let people realize, you know, if, if you did it when you got your tests, think about it from a vaccine standpoint. Too, I've heard of people who live in Queens County who have received vaccines in other counties. Absolutely. So, but the issue, I think that's slowing right now because of the supply issue and that every county is prioritizing based on risks and so if you're 30 years old and healthy and you go to another county you're not going to and just say i'm a teacher you may get put in line behind somebody who's 75 years old with diabetes because but i just don't know what that edict i, I mean, the edict to get the schools decisions. back in in a march 1st deadline basically looming um somebody's gonna have to do something quickly i mean it, if you've got a shortage of so, vaccine, so also, i can well i can i can tell you right now with the supply chain that we have there is no way you're going to open school up in march and have every teacher vaccinated there, yeah, we just don't have a supply chain to be able to do that yeah let me make a point on that too that this business of getting vaccinated makes you safe. Not so much. My wife is a doctor in a Maryland hospital. She got vaccinated and three weeks later came home with COVID. So it takes five to six weeks after you're vaccinated before it works. So that's a fact. The, the most frustrating 
thing on, on our side is, and particularly the, the last clinic that we ran at Ken Island Volunteer Fire Department was predominantly over 65, and predominantly most of the people that came were over 75. Uh, and the one that stuck out the most was a, a World War II veteran came through at 100 years of age. And uh, uh, the sad part is we, we had to walk outside at the end of the night and turn 50 people away that were standing outside seeing if we'd have any extra. And yeah. you could tell every person standing outside was in need of that vaccination. Yeah. And that's very difficult for us and it's very difficult to, to see. But again, we're very limited on how much we're receiving and we are pushing it out as quick as we receive it. You know, and one thing we don't talk about uh, near enough anymore is the positivity rate. I mean, we were literally two, three weeks ago in the high teens mm -hmm. and now we're at seven. And the states it's like six and a half and that number has been steadily coming down. So I remember one time we couldn't go to school until the positivity rate was under 5%. And I gotta believe in the next two weeks we could very well hit that number. So that's something to look up to that, you know, it is under control and, you know, and hopefully, you know, it, in Queen Anne's County, at least, that number can continue to keep going down as the vaccines go up and, you know, we get to that happy medium sometime this summer, God willing, because, you know, everybody realizes now the numbers and the amount of shots that you got to give out without the vaccine, it could take a year, you know, it just, we, we don't hear anything coming out of Washington saying, okay, well, here's how many vaccines, the federal government's pumping out about a million vaccines a day. And by June, it's gonna be two or three million a day, but we don't hear that yet. So until we hear that, nothing's gonna change. You know, you just can't, in, you know, it's not there to, to, to give. So until it is there to give, then, then we can have that conversation. So to the positivity rate real quick, while you were on that, um, so, a, what has really changed in two weeks? Nothing. Weather hasn't changed. People's habits haven't changed. So how are we doing less testing? Because I've heard that there's less. The testing is there's there's something the testing has changed. Now they said that, I mean, I did read an article from the World Health Organization about the, they had to look at the test because they were too sensitive or something along those lines. So that has changed some of the testing outcomes. So again, none of that's really been addressed. What has dropped the pot? I, I don't think it's because people are doing more social distancing or any of that. What well, they said, you know, again, if you go by what the ex experts say, the spikes were from Thanksgiving and, and after Christmas and New Year's. So, you know, those gatherings and people traveling have, have now gone back to the levels that were before that and, and the numbers are coming down. So I don't, I really don't know what could cause it other than that, but if the, as long as the numbers are coming down, you know, I think it, yeah. Calm that and nerve so, and some of these are questions for Dr. C. We'll have him back in again, sure. keep Scott on the hot seat for too long. With <laughs> some of those questions, but Scott, thank you for thank coming you, in and thank you for everything that your team is doing. Thank you. And Appreciate just every it. now and then, please check on Mr. Wheatley in the basement, make sure he's okay. <laughs> he looks good in that hey, yellow we, dress. We, uh, <laughs> he's out of the sun there, you know. Yeah, we don't, we don't let him in the basement too often, but, okay. uh, but he is doing well. And right. I am sure he is watching us right now. There you <laughs> go. He, he doesn't like missing a minute. So. That's right. I was worried. Well, thank you very much. The helicopter. That, that was the helicopter. Thank, thank you, Scott. Well done. I killed well that helicopter. Yeah. CH 46, a Chinook. All right, commissioners. Okay. We have one more presenter tonight. We have Donna Landis Smith, our soil conservation land preservation specialist. And uh, she's here to talk about the MOUTH program. And she has a special request, I believe, tonight. I didn't see anybody else write down, so I'll do that. 
<laughs> Scott, thank you. So up there, you can now take your mask off if you want yes. to. Yes, thank you. I can breathe now again, that's good. Uh, on page 14, uh, item number three under tab six. Good evening. Good evening. I am back in front of you on my annual visit for requesting funds from the county for the mouth matching funds program. Uh, I'd sent a letter to you at your last commissioner meeting uh, confirming our participation in the matching funds program and that was sent to the state and this report for the matching funds from the county is due February the 1st. So I am here tonight to um, let you know what we have currently in the ag transfer tax and to see if there is any other funding that you would be available to commit towards the matching funds program. Just to um, go back over where this money comes from, it comes from the ag transfer tax. And what that means is when a piece of property is taken out of ag use and transferred over into residential use, a 5% tax is placed on that property. 80% of that transfer tax is retained by the county and the other 20% is remitted to the state. The ag transfer tax is accumulated over a year's period and currently um, in the ag transfer tax uh, county amount, we have available $84,214.70. I received that from the finance office um, uh, just about a week and a half ago. The other 20% that gets remitted to the state, that accumulates um, as every county remits to the state that same amount or the 30% for non-certified counties. Non-certified counties are counties that don't participate <coughs> in um, proving that they're doing their ag preservation in the manner that we do here in Queen Anne's County. So we get to keep more of our money than some of the counties that don't. There's 17 of the 23 counties that are certified counties. So what that means, that 20% or the 30% that gets remitted to the state, whatever that amount of money is, and I believe this year it's about $42 million, that gets cut in half. The $21 million gets equally distributed among the 23 counties, and then the remaining $21 million gets split among the certified counties. So the state initial allocation that we have available this year is $720,000. Last year was 830, so we're down about $110,000. So with the 84,000 that we pledge to the state, if we only do the ag transfer tax, they will match that $2 for every dollar that we commit. So they will give us $168,428 to match our $84,000 ag transfer tax. So that puts us at roughly $972,642, give or take. So roughly about $980,000 that we're gonna be able to pledge towards our easement applications this year. So that's not very much. Um, and I know it's been a very difficult year financially and I know the budget's very tight. Um, last year in fiscal year 20, you all graciously um, supported and committed $750,000. And for that $750,000, we had a return of $3,459,281. All the applications that we submitted last year were funded in full and we were, to be able, we were able to preserve 885 acres. All of two of those farms have settled. So one is close, probably within the next couple of weeks we'll settle. 
So we had a very successful year last year, and we have 10 applicants that submitted applications this year. We need a total of $6,694,319 to fund all of those applications, which is 1,866 acres. That's a big number. Yes, but is. we have done that. Two years ago, we got $7.5 So it's possible, you know, but it depends a lot on our second round offers and what we put in as a county and what we get as matching funds. So that's why I'm here tonight. Um, I'm here to see if there's any extra. <laughs> well, there should be. I mean, we, you know, we, we uh, dedicated the solar. That's right. We dedicated the solar personal property so. tax, and that uh, was that three hundred forty thousand. It was yeah. give or take. I mean, so give or take. Yeah. I mean, that number needs to be added to this. Um, so we know that for a fact. And I guess uh, my question is. Uh, Last year, you said how much was was that include the trans, ag transfer and everything? Yes, that was everything. That was total funding. That was that included the seven hundred fifty thousand dollars that the county put in. Right. Second round offers and our matching funds from the state. So, basically, three and a half million dollars on a seven hundred fifty thousand dollar right. commitment. Mm -hmm. Yes. Okay. Well, I mean, I guess we'll. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to make a motion to approve the $84,217.70 of Ag Transfer Tax Towards the Mouth Matching Funds Program. Second. Got a motion and a second from Phil. Uh, any discussion? All those in favor? Aye. 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 5-0. So that's that money. Now, uh, how do we go about getting her the money documented? I guess just go talk to finance. We'll, we'll take a look and see what's available. And yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's it is available because it's the, it's the that's personal the property tax. That's the three hundred forty thousand from well, uh, give or take. So, okay. and, and that is dedicated strictly to the mouth program every year. So, yes. Whatever that dollar amount is goes automatically to you. And I gotta hope that this year. Well, I hate to say this, but with with uh, COVID, I gotta believe that the uh, you know. The amount of money that we're putting into it, you should be able to parlay that into hopefully yes. three or four dollars to every one. We always do very well in the second round offers because our easement um, asking prices compared to fair market value appraisals mm -hmm. is roughly around the 50% mark. And usually, if we stay around that 50% mark, mm -hmm. um, we can obtain the second round offers. And for those who don't remember what second round offers are, some counties do not participate in MAF. They don't use. They don't utilize their money. For example, Howard County, they have their own county program, they fund their own easements. So their initial allocation of $720,000 goes back into a pot. Some counties may only have one easement, may have two, or they have extra money that gets remitted back to the state. So that extra pot goes to the best easement values on the discounted rate. For example, if a farm appraises for $10,000 an acre and the landowner asks for 3,000, that's a 70% discounted rate. So we do very, very well in that. And um, the last year, I just got the annual report from last year, the six easements that we had that settled total $4.4 million just in the last you know, fiscal year. And we are now at 10% of the total count or total state amount in preservation. So we've got 10% of the total in the state. And in we're here in counts. And we're number two? We we are three. We are three. And when I get these final two settled, we'll be in second place. But we're at 9.7%.
and the next one is 10.2%. So we'll get there once we get these final two settled. But yeah. you also have the, uh, you know, the you have the time and, and the uh, ability to come back to us for those second rounds if you have something that's you're working on, you can come back and. That is correct. If we have a property, let's say my 10th property, mm -hmm. we only have um, $490,000 and his asking price is 520000 I can come back to you and say, can we find another $20,000 to make a full offer to this last participant? The state is required by law. If they have 50% of the asking price available, they will send a letter out and make a negotiation it's, because, it's called an insufficient funds offer. So they will legally have to send that out. But a lot of times they're already taking a huge discount off of the fair market value appraisal. A lot of times the landowners don't wanna give up more unless it's a few thousand dollars. Um, so that's when I will come back to you and say, hey, we've got this last farm, it's 200 and some acres, and we're talking about $20,000 to preserve a couple hundred acres and you all I think probably 100% of the time have found that money to do that last insufficient funds offer. So yes, I would. I would have that. Um, I just was on the meeting today and they're telling me they're going to start making offers next month. So we should know probably by around May to June how many will get funded. And, well, we've, and got, we've got some big farms this year. Yeah. Well, hopefully, like I said, you know, the, the bill was for a million dollars a year, but that was all personal property taxes yes. and these solar arrays. So when you see one being built, you know that we're close. the coffers are going to grow. We're close. <laughs> we just reviewed the sediment and erosion plan for one of the big projects. So we sent, sent that out for comments. So we're getting there. there we're getting close. That's right. nice having the inside tracked on where it's at in the yeah. process. Yeah. Well, you know, the other thing, Jim, is we got to go back to, because I know there's some question as to whether a couple the the original solar properties yeah. weren't in arrears right um and that we because we had questions about how what's the call you know how do we go after them for it um because they we had the problem finding there. the owners of the ones right there on 404 but that's what i'm talking that's because of the buffer speaking. management and everything else it right. was uh, yes. substandard but they got it they got to file that a1 form every year declaring the uh value right. and yeah they went in there was at least two years since we put the ordinance in effect where they never filed it. So I think now we finally got that straightened out. So I think there's maybe some more money coming in on Good. that side anyway. So. I believe that solar company that originally put that in on four or think went bankrupt. They sold, sold it twice, yeah. I think. Okay. Right? Yeah, they sold right. it. It's been yeah. sold a couple of times. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Um, one additional note I wanted to let you know, I just um, received our grant agreement for the Rural Legacy Funding. We were awarded $774,038 for rural legacy. So that will do two additional properties in the rural legacy area. So we're still pulling it in. Very good. Yeah, we're doing was, how, what, what did we do last year on that, on the rural legacy side? Uh, it was remember? like a million 36. They did, the overall awards weren't Down? as high this year. Yeah. yeah, I guess. Yeah, that comes from program open space. So that that budget was cut um, some, but we were, we were lucky because some counties didn't get anything. That's so good. we were pretty good. Good job. Very good. Excellent. Yeah. Okay. Right. Thank right. you very much. Thank you. I appreciate it. Have a good night. Too. Good. Thanks, Donna. Thanks for your patience tonight. Oh, no problem. Thank you. All right. That concludes our presentations tonight, Commissioners. So we um, can go to public comment. If there's anybody. No comment. Shoot up there. Okay. Buddy. Then I guess we can go to round Close. Yep. Mr. Wilson. Good gracious. Uh, <laughs> 
All righty. Uh, my first item would be that uh, I still get a terrific amount of questions, as I'm sure you do, from seniors. Um, 65 plus is when do I get my shot, which is something this county does not know. I do think what we should do is instruct or put on our county website a three-liner explaining that this depends on the flow of shots coming in from the feds. We're not able to determine that. And you shouldn't have to check on a box. That should be available to everybody because I must have gotten four calls, five calls in the last day or two about that. And it's not, you know, even though we've made two videos and done a bunch of press releases, it's not getting out adequately. And we need to explain that, uh, that it's beyond our uh, range of information. So that plus, uh, like I said, I'm just tremendously pleased with the work that the EMS did. I mean, this last month has really been brutal on them because between moving their whole facility and handling the, handling the, uh, the vaccinations, in which we wound up being first in the state, is just fabulous. You know, we did a great job, and I'm pleased with us and pleased with them. So, anyway, that's it for me. Okay, Commissioner Moran. Uh, two things. Uh, one, just I'm going to echo uh, your sentiments, but I want to thank you, Com uh, Commissioner President Corcorino and Todd and Steve for spearheading this and trying to get the county any way you can more vaccines. And that's that's what it takes. And, and uh, I appreciate all the hard work going into that. Uh, I want to comment too. you know, Jack's over there and, and he's at Mako. And, and I saw you guys sent out a letter today uh, out on the school construction, I think it was, is it the one of the funding ones you sent out. I, 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 anyways, I, I'd like to comment on the fact that you, what you said about four, four pros and four cons in testimony in, in Annapolis. I mean, to me, it's, it's, it's crazy that, that that can happen when here it is, you know, for those that don't know it, uh, the Bay Bridge uh, NEPA study has been put on hold indefinitely until COVID is gone because they can't hold a hearing or uh, town halls to get input from the public. So they're going to stop the entire process for uh, another bay crossing until better uh, times. But yet in Annapolis, they'll pass a law with only four people testifying for it and or against it. And that's uh, very scary to me. So, you know, uh, Jack, you, you've got the eyes over there. So, you know, keep us informed. But uh, other than that, you know, uh, I, I want to say that to the public that, you know, the vaccines are slowly but surely coming. Positivity rate is slowly but surely dropping. So, you know, the glass is half full. That's all. Thank you. Mm -hmm. Commissioner Wilson. So to Stevie's point, maybe uh, some outreach to some of the local uh, news stations, maybe to the WJZs of the world, WBALs, to not only make the case for us, but, you know, responsible reporting would be to report that, you know, uh, counties are, are, are getting shortchanged on some of their vaccines um, to make it a a little bit more outreach to the public in terms of, hey, you know, we're, we're trying, we're doing what we can. We're at 103.9%. That'll make people guess just like it did me, how you get to 1039 But you know what? That story maybe needs to be told and uh, get it up to the federal level. Just, I mean, you guys have been doing a great job. I agree with Jim. You guys, you know, you've kept your nose to the grindstone trying to get us more vaccines, but it's like squeezing blood from a turnip sometimes, I guess, with this. Um, but yeah, just keep up keep on them. That's all we could do. If we can come up with any other avenues to get it out there, that'd be great. 
Um, to your point, Jim, sadly, I think so much is agenda driven over there in Annapolis this year, and that's why so much of this is going to get put through because it's not about making good laws um, or, or doing good things. It's all agendas, individual agendas. Um, it'll get pushed through a lot of stuff. Uh, Mako's doing their best to stop a lot, and they are. They're going to stop a lot of the bad stuff that probably would get pushed through otherwise. So, I mean, that's kind of good, and hopefully some people will wake up over there and realize this is not the time or place to A, not have public input, and B, put through stuff that you don't know what the long-term consequences are going to be. You're just doing it to appeal to 20 constituents. That, and that's politics at its worst, in my opinion, and it's governing at its worst, without a doubt. Um, but I do want to give them credit where credit is due. And uh, we, uh, Commissioner Quicarino and me were on our make a call uh, last night. Okay. No, last coalition. night, Royal County, and it came up this. So there is a bill that the governor, a lot of people are aware the governor put forth a relief bill um, geared towards business relief, uh, some uh, unemployment tax relief, I believe, is packaged up in it um, for people who have had to collect unemployment. They won't have to pay taxes on it. So it, it's a really good bill. The governor did a good job, and I'm happy to say that the legislature looks like they're going to back the governor's bill. There, it doesn't sound like there's going to be a lot of wrangling about it, so it'll actually get pushed through um, to help most of the citizens of Maryland. So I, I got to give credit where credit's due. That's both sides of the aisle coming together and doing what, you know, what's right for the state of Maryland. So um, I guess that's it. Until next time. All right. Commissioner Duno. Um, just, just to you know, reiterate and touch on something that, that Scott Haas, our director of emergency service, touched on, and that is the Goodwill Volunteer Fire Department and, and the Kent uh, Island Volunteer Fire Department. Uh, if, if you've gone down and, and witnessed the process of someone getting a vaccine and then having to sit and social distance uh, for 15 minutes to make sure there were no side effects before they'll let you leave, um, it requires space enough to be able to handle the number of people that are being vaccinated and the number of people that have to sit and wait for 15 minutes after that vaccination. Um, I, I just want to send out a kudos to the two volunteer firehouses, including uh, Ken Island, whose who's, uh, generosity of letting us do these vaccinations in their hall uh, at no charge, um, it just it needs to be mentioned. So uh, kudos to, to, to the Goodwill Volunteer Fire Company and, and Ken Island. That's, That's it. it. Thank you. All right, well, um, I think we've talked enough about COVID and vaccines, I'll just sort of beat the dead horse here, is that we have not been making friends in Annapolis because we've been <laughs> calling everybody, texting people uh, day and night, trying to get more allocation over to us, um, short of heist and stealing a truckload, which I'm told Todd said we're not allowed to do. Um, otherwise, well, you I'm, can't publicly. I was just going to say, not publicly. Right. He did not wink when he that said side. it, so we're, that's not off the table yet. But we are trying to. To the seniors out there, um, we hear a lot of people, they signed up on our interest list and they said they hadn't heard anything from the county in a few weeks. Um, you haven't been forgotten. We, just, we don't have the supply to get everybody. We don't have enough to get everybody who's over 75 or everybody over 65. We're trying to get that supply to do that. Um, we're going to try to even do a better job of communicating where we are. We're doing, Commissioner Dumanon did a, a video that we just released, I think, today. Uh, we're doing press releases, social media, 
um, newspaper. We're, we're trying to get the word out there as many ways as we can. We'll, we'll keep trying to do that. We're going to use the interest list that people have signed up on to push out messages of updates. Even if the update is simply, you know, you're still on the list, we don't have an appointment for you. Um, as soon as we get those shots, they come off the truck, we get them in arms, and we, we don't sit on them. They, they do not collect any dust here, so please be assured that. Which is a shame because not every county, and not, state a, not, not every jurisdiction that. has done that. Um, they're getting better, but we were at the forefront yeah. before them. And we've even made the pitch that if other counties aren't using them all, they should ship some over to us. We've offered to go pick them up, and um, so far, uh, we have not had any luck with that. So, so Chris, uh, so I guess the question I've had asked of me, um, and I wasn't didn't have a sure answer on it, and I really can't find anywhere to target a direct answer. So, obviously, the governor announced today, I believe, we're going to be transitioning to the 1C category. Right. So, where, what percentage of the 1As were you allowed to move to 1Bs? What percentage of 1As, 1Bs do you have to have to move to 1Cs? We have and, discretion and on that. Well, see, and that, but that's the question I'm getting more often is, well, we don't have all our 1As done. Why are we doing 1Bs? Well, we don't have all our 1Bs done. Why are we doing 1Cs? I mean, is there a defined from the state, or, or are we doing it here locally? We're saying once we hit 40 percent um, and we're not getting the influx again that we're moving to the 1Cs? I mean, I, I don't, I, I just, is it just random? I mean, I don't, I don't know what. Because it's all going to be paid for the vaccine still, but it's like if I'm a 1C or if I'm, a, if I'm sitting by as a 2 and I'm going, man, I hope they just click to the 1Cs, I'm going to get in line. But then you have this 1C who says somebody 75 or older that comes in, are they going to get preferential treatment over that 2 because they were a 1C? I, and again, I've got that question. That's why I'm trying to. Yeah, and these are decisions that the health department is making. These are, these are science-based decisions that they're okay. making when they're, when they're prioritizing. Um, when you only get three or 400, there's not so much you can do on that. Um, there is a certain amount that the state has given guidance that say have to go to education. teachers, to education staff. Okay. So, there, so teachers, you are getting it, but we don't have enough to, let's say, vaccinate all the school systems. And they were 1C originally, right, teachers? Is that right, or B? B. They were 1Bs. Okay. 1B. Right. So it, it's a supply. And, and I, I think, to be frank, we're going to continue to see these lower supplies at least until March. Uh, the news that we're hearing is that hopefully the Johnson & Johnson vaccine will get approved and come online by March. That will help because then we're adding more supply and that hopefully Moderna picks up. So Isn't there a single-dose one that that's somebody's Johnson, that's Johnson, Johnson. Johnson. That is a Johnson Johnson. Yep. Okay. So that'll help, obviously. That'll help. You don't uh, need double I the mean, numbers. I just want to bring up, this is going to be a long process. Just And so we're not going to give up on you. Just you know, stick with it. It's going to take time, though. Yeah, I'd, I'd like to add, we were not surprised when this slowdown happened. We rather expected it because when they began to have to supply the second shots, right. it ate up the first. And what you're going to see is a slowdown, my own personal guess is a slowdown continuing through February, part of March, and then right around the middle of March, Johnson comes on and Moderna and Pfizer both have guaranteed another $100 million at, by the end of March. And I think... Then we're going to have a big wave of vaccine, and what we're going to need to do from our standpoint is to gear up our crews to be able to handle that bulge at that time. And we will be working on that uh, surmise as we move forward. Thank you. I'll entertain the motion to adjourn. I have one thing, Commissioner. Oh, okay, um, I just wanted to mention that uh, we may have had a 
technical glitch, but we had one comment uh, from Jay Falstead that he, he must have got cut off on the uh, on his Zoom or maybe he had a bad connection at his house, but he wanted to uh, express gratitude to the commissioners for their support of the MOUTH program and uh, special thanks went out to, uh, to Donna Smith as well for okay. her presentation tonight. Thank you, Todd. I'll make a motion to adjourn. Second. All those in favor? Let's go. Aye.